Good morning, church. My name is Caitlin, and I'm on staff here. Um, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Today we're going to be reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right. Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. Jesus is coming back, y'all. There we go. At least we got a one or two shouts. Uh, that's really a good thing. Uh, we want to encourage each other that Jesus is coming back. You know, it's something that, you know, I don't know that we say it enough. Uh, I think maybe, uh, I don't know if it's the, the weirdness of, um, you know, people thinking, okay, Jesus is coming back on a cloud. I mean, that's what it says in, in uh, other parts of scripture. Like he's, he's coming back. But that is an exciting, exciting thing to think about. When you think about life, planet Earth, that um, there is, Jesus is a redeemer and has uh, you know, done this incredible work on the cross of Jesus Christ to, to purchase us and buy us back. But full redemption is coming, that there's, there's someone coming, the, the justice maker, and uh, that, that our, as, as a follower of Jesus, it is good news. It's a great thing that Jesus is coming back. Man, I tell you what, I did love uh, Anchor Team Night uh, this week. And the, the, who was there at Anchor Team Night? This is a good, good group of people, a lot of anchors in the room. That's good. Um, and for those of you that are not, FOMO was intended um, become an anchor. Uh, I'm kidding. It really was. And it was different this year in that we did show um, kind of a historical uh, video. I mean, there's some, some funny things that were all, Team Night is just kind of fun, family, family night. Uh, but to think about the origins, and one of my favorite was the, uh, the pictures of me and Gerald. And Gerald was, Gerald who was playing keys, if you're new here, um, is, you know, most of you have seen him for, for years if you've been here. But he has been with me, uh, I think you were in, in your, I mean, early college years. And then the, the picture that we showed was me, you, and Aaron Walsh was like 22 years old. And you were like 23 or 24. Oh, you got it. He, this, I said this in the first one, but we didn't have this picture. Look how attractive I am. I mean, what happened? I mean, it's like, it just, I don't even know what happens. That's like classic. I'm still in youth pastor phase right there. You can tell, you know, the goatee, like, oh, you know, I probably have, look, this is, you got to check out leather necklace. You know, he's a youth pastor because he's got a leather necklace with a cross on it, wooden cross that he got on a mission trip. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's so funny. We, uh, we, we played all kinds of games. These are, it was a worship leaders conference that we went to every year. I think for 10 years, me and Gerald went to this, this conference and 
Um, we took different people. Aaron was with us th that particular year. We would do contests the entire time. Like, like flannels were in, like they're not in anymore. Um, but it was like everywhere, it was like 100% of the people were wearing flannels. Like it was just like the worship leader thing back then was everybody had to wear a flannel. Now the rest of the world wears flannels too. And then Chelsea boots, remember we would have a contest to see how many people were wearing Chelsea boots. See, the only people laughing are the worship leaders that are like, yeah, worship leaders wear Chelsea boots and skinny jeans. That's kind of the other thing. But what an amazing season of life. It's hard to believe it's been that many years, I think that was 2009 or 2010, I think that was in the, like right around the corner when we were still meeting in the houses and doing Bible studies before the church was even really a thing. But, you know, it was a, it was a, a night where you realize that the mission of the church is, it's alive and well. Like it's, there was moments in those seasons, like, is this really going to happen? Is this, you know, it's, this is a, you know, kind of a scary thing, but now looking around the room and seeing just 150 anchors together, you know, people that are serving and leading the church, the people that are carrying the torch um, here at OCC and do the line share of like ministry here uh, was just powerful uh, to know and call those people family. Uh, and one of the things that we did was super funny. Um, Dan McFerrin, he's here right there. There he is. He was Jimmy Fallon at the, uh, the deal. We did the Tonight Show. Uh, he did a top 10 list. He did a couple of top 10 lists that were fantastic. And one of them was, I loved it. It was top 10 worship song lyrics that you hope we don't sing when you bring someone to church. Um, because there are those songs that are just like, they're great and we all sing them and they're, they're great, but you think that's not gonna make sense to that person that hasn't been to church in 15 years. Um, and this was one of, one of my favorite ones because I think it goes with our passage and it was dead man come out of that grave when we sing. Yeah, we do sing that. Dead man, come out of that grave. Come out of that grave when we sing. But then you've got, I mean, it's like thriller. I mean, you just, I think of Michael Jackson, you know, dun, dun, you know, dead man coming out of the grave. It's a weird thing. And there's so many little weird things about our faith. We, if you grow up in the Southeast, it's just what you talked about. You see it was on the felt board and it wasn't weird. But then you think about it, like people that don't know Jesus or have not grown up in church or have just been outside of the, you know, the family of faith for years, these things are an odd thing. The idea that death, talking about death, talking about people coming out of graves, talking about resurrection is an odd thing. And it was odd for the, the church at Thessalonica. And it was one of the things that Timothy brought back. He said, hey, things are going really good. These people are super stoked, all new Christians. I mean, this was just months ago we were there and they're carrying the torch, but they have questions, which, which new, new believers do. They have questions about death, about the resurrection, about how this works. What is the, you know, what, how does this, they were wondering, they were sad. They were, they were you know, talking to Timothy and talking to, to the, the leaders of the church and Timothy was gonna come back and tell Paul, I was like, hey, what happens? Like we're, we're followers of Jesus, but you know, I, we've got relatives and people that were followers of Jesus. They're now dead. What's the hope for them? Because the, the, the pagan philosophical world at the time, they, they would say, there's all kinds of hope. There's all kinds of hope in the world and you should be hopeful, but in death, there is no hope. So that was what was very constant in their world. So the apostle Paul to encourage them was speaking words like these that we just read in verse 13. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. He's saying, you can have a different way of looking at life. 
a more hopeful way, right? Because he says, those are the people who have no hope. You're not those people. And what the apostle Paul's trying to do, he's trying to reframe some things. And I just want to highlight a few things just in this passage as we begin this kind of journey. Welcome. You came to a sermon about death. Um, It's fantastic. But how to approach the idea that death actually is something that's more prominent in our mind than we might think of. Now, they use this term sleep. You see it a lot in scripture, but it, it was pretty prominent in that day to have those two things kind of used synonymously in the Koine Greek. So sleep often meant death. Now, when it's referred to in the Christian faith, when you see it in the Bible with the writers of the epistles and the, the uh, gospels, there's often a, a tone of the word sleep that has a rest bound to it, like sleeping in rest, which was not the way that the world saw it. Sleeping in death was what they, they would talk about. And so it was becoming more hopeful as you read uh, the epistles, as you read the gospels, they, they were starting to talk about sleep in the way that we see it as this, you're not sleep forever. This is a, a temporary thing. So sleep in death. Um, and I wanted to clarify, cause I think people, they were asking the question, okay, what happened to my relatives? How does this all work? Like this whole death thing. And for many people in their day, and I think there's, this is still a, a, a incorrect theology or incorrect thought about the afterlife in general. So you didn't even know, you were coming and we get to talk about the afterlife. Some of you are really amped and excited and some of you are, you have PTSD from talking about end times at your church when you were growing up. Uh, you went to tribulation house, you know, where everybody's like, no, where's my mommy? Um, she was raptured and you were not. Um, <laughs> So now you're laughing because you know it was, that's the way it was. Um, but you've got, you've got this idea that the Apostle Paul is trying to, to, to give them information and let them know so that they could have hope, so that they could think differently. And in, in their day, and in one of the prominent philosophies was this idea that, okay, maybe even in Judaism, that people would die and they would go into a soul sleep. Like in, and even in Christianity, there's some people that believe that this is kind of the way that it happens. People die, you know, but they were Christians. So they kind of go into a, a, like an in-between soul sleep. And then when, you know, Jesus comes back and returns, like we just read, Jesus is coming back. You know, the archangel is going to let everybody know it's going to be a big prominent announcement. And then the dead in Christ, the people that were dead, that were Christians, they're going to rise first. They're going to be, and so they must've been in their soul sleep. But what we know from scripture, what it says in, in John 8, is that, that you won't even taste, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you would not even taste death. Jesus himself says to the thief on, thief on the cross, in his belief, in his faith, what does he say? He says, today. So they were gonna die that day. Today you will be with me in paradise. And across the landscape of the New Testament, what you begin to understand is that when you take, if you're a follower of Jesus, and listen, this is just hope, that we're, we're talking about before we even dive in to have some hope today. When you take your last breath here as a follower of Jesus, you are, you are immediately going to take your, your first breath in eternity face to face with Jesus. How, how crazy is that? And that's a hope. That's the hope that the apostle Paul was trying to lean them towards. They had all these questions about death and the apostle Paul being a very smart guy. I mean, this is thousands of years ago and he's grabbing a hold of things that in our social psychological world, we, we've just now gotten, like in the 70s, we started really digging into the, the way that death affects our mind. The fact that we understand 
that we're going to die. Like that's a unique thing that should be something that screams that there is something else, that there is a God because of high order mammals. We're the only one, we're at the pinnacle of, of, of every animal on planet earth. We're the only ones that can conceive of what? Our mortality, our death. We're the only ones that have anxiety and existential crises based on our mortality. It's something that we know about. Ernest Becker wrote The Denial of Death in the 70s, won a Pulitzer Prize for it because it had these ideas that it really wrapped our mind around the, the, the truth of a lot of who we are is subconsciously or consciously dictated by the fact that we need to survive. That's something that you would, you would read in evolution, but it is true about us that we, a lot of what we do, the instinctive things that God's wired in us are to help us survive. But listen to this, even a more updated, you know, uh, kind of thought process when it comes to who Ernest Becker is and what he said about death. Um, in psychology, this, this terror management theory suggests that a large part of all human behavior is generated by unconscious fear of death. This fear generates a fundamental anxiety and unease, which we try to offset that behavior um, by status seeking, strongly defending the values in our culture. Um, we, if we uh, feel threatened by death and so we seek security significance to defend ourselves against it. Listen to this, studies have shown, for example, that when people are made more aware of their own mortality, like if somebody's in a car accident or they've survived cancer, or somebody's just getting older. I mean, when you're young, the young people that are in here, see young people, um, you, you don't think about death. It's just not one of those things. And you get to be, you know, you get older, you start thinking, you wake up going, wow, I'm dying. I mean, you just start thinking about it. I mean, Dave, he's talking about vitamin C. I mean, we're just, we need, we're thinking about death. So we think about our own mortality and we tend to become more nationalistic, tribal and materialistic. Now studies have shown that like people that get, as you get older, um, that, and you face your own mortality or you go through things that, that all of a sudden there's a, there's a, like a subconscious reaction to that. Like we're gonna, we're gonna hoard things and we're gonna get very, people get more involved in politics. Isn't it funny? I mean, do you, I mean, if, who's in here that's young? I mean, Kaylee, do you watch the news? Is that like a prominent, like you're watching, you're into politics, you know, you're watching, you know, it's, you're on there just angry, you know, about the political climate that's going on. No, she's not because she's young, not even in college yet. But if I asked one of you and I'm not going to embarrass anybody that's, that's in here, you know, if you're in your fifties, do you, you know, are you watching the news? You were doing the political thing? You watching, were you angry during the election? I mean, you probably got a little roughed up with you know, friends of yours that were on the other side of the aisle that thought differently than you. Well, part of that, part of what drives that is we begin to protect our assets. We begin to protect the things around us based on an unconscious knowledge of our mortality. So the, the, on one side of the fence, you got people that are really into the climate. They're into climate change and, and worried about what's, you know, what's gonna be left for our kids. That's something that subconsciously is driven by us understanding our mortality. Or on the other side of the fence, I'm not gonna, I don't even know where these political lines are. I have no idea where that is. 
you know, it's more about your assets. You know, what's mine is mine and, and, and people taking your money or I pay too many taxes. I've got to keep all of my stuff. So then we become more, hey, who's in my tribe? Who are the people that are in it with me? Who are the people that are going to protect me? Who are the people we're going to vote into office that are going to do those things? And then all of a sudden you throw into the mix a viral pandemic, which people die from, right? And then what happens? It even gets crazier, right? You get, you get so death in ways that we don't even think about on, on a normal basis really does affect who we are as human beings. It's interesting, if we go back and, and just see this one statement right at the very beginning, this terror management theory suggests that a large part of, listen, all human behavior is generated by the unconscious fear of death a large part of all of human behavior. We don't think about it because it's unconscious, but a lot of the ways that we act in our life, in our relationships, in our jobs, the things that we decide to do is driven by the fact that we, we have this existential thing that's going on as human beings, as people with a soul that God's created. There's something that we understand and know about ourselves that's, it's in the depths of who we are. It's the eternity in the hearts of men that Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes. And what's crazy is that what I read about terror management was written in 2019. What I read from Ernest Becker, that's in the 1970s. The apostle Paul has been just inspired by the Holy Spirit to educate the church at Thessalonica, but we're sitting here so many years later, allowing the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us when it comes to how we approach death and how we can think because Jesus is coming back. The, Paul, the apostle Paul, four times, only four times in all of the epistles, and he wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He said these words only four times. He says, do not be ignorant. He said four times. And he had four different topics where he said, do not be ignorant. And in your, some of your translations, um, it says, I don't want you to have, be misinformed, but the word in the root is ignorant. So he says, don't be ignorant about these things. One was, don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. That's in Romans 11. He's telling them like, hey, there's gonna be a fullness of the Gentiles that are gonna be attached to this. Cause all the Jews were like, hey, why are, why are we even talking about all these, you know, these people that are not, not Jewish, they're not God's people. And Paul, Paul was trying to explain to them, oh, no, 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 you, don't, you, you have a misunderstanding about God's plan for Israel. He also says, do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He says, hey, I want you to know and understand these things. And you know how wise that is? Because how crazy is it that that's one of the things that people divide in church over is spiritual gifts. Oh my goodness, they're speaking in tongues. What's happening? What's happening? You know, the apostle Paul knew back then I want you to be educated. I want you to understand what it means and what these gifts are for. They are for the glorification of Jesus. And he, he gets very clear. Do not be ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, I, I want you to understand that as a follower of Jesus, this is not going to be easy. It is not follow Jesus. This is the solution to life on planet earth when it comes to suffering and when it comes to trials. You're not gonna, oh, you, you follow Jesus, you're not gonna have to deal with cancer. You follow Jesus, you're not gonna have to deal with people and relationships and all the, the hardships that can come. No, he is very clear. In fact, the apostle Paul is trying to tell them, hey, you're going to suffer. 
You're going to walk through trials. You're going to have things that happen to you on this side of heaven that will refine your faith. I mean, that's how he understood that, that God's grace was sufficient for him in and through his suffering. And it's in his top four list is suffering, right? But he says, don't be, lastly, don't be ignorant about death. Don't be ignorant about death. Can you believe that's in the, the most important you know, thing, one of the most important things that the apostle Paul talked about? And the second coming of Jesus and our future hope. First Thessalonians 4, 13. We just, we just read that. And I just thought, man, you know, I know it's, it's Vision Sunday. We probably, you know, talking about death may not be the, you know, you know, somebody didn't do a good marketing campaign for me ahead of time. You know, what, do you, what did y'all do on Vision Sunday? We talked about death. Um, but Paul is encouraged them, encouraging them about what can shape their human behavior. What can shape the way that they think? What can shape the way that they face life? How do we, how do we face death as Christians? What does it look like for us? So we're gonna look at three things that the return of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is coming back, knowing that our last breath here is not the end of the story, that death is not the end, that our last breath here only means our next breath is gonna be face-to-face -face with Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus. What, is it, what are the implications of that? And the first one is we face fear in light of eternity. So you and I, we face fear in light of eternity. In other words, not in the myopic zone of Here's, here's what's happening in this small circle of my circumstances, but we face things that cause us to be fearful or cause us anxiety, cause us stress. We face those things in light of the end of the story. We are well-informed now because of the Apostle Paul and because of Jesus letting us know how this is all going down. Having information about the future is really important because it definitely shapes the way that we act here in the present. Now, we're supposed to have, now that doesn't mean we walk around because, oh, Jesus is coming back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna die, but as soon as I die, I see Jesus. That doesn't mean you walk around like a cowboy and do stupid stuff. There's a reason that, that God gave you a pain reflex, right? Like, so you don't touch that or go stick your finger in that or do anything weird. Like there's a reason so that you don't die. Like you dying is not necessarily a good thing, yeah, right? There's a reason that you have a fear of heights. Why? So you don't die. Like you, that's, there's a reason that's there. You, we're supposed to have healthy fears, God-given aversion to pain. But we think about what it looks like for you and me to not fear, to not have things that drive us away from the mission that God has for us. And I'll just use the apostle Paul as the best example. The dude had no fear. Now he had fears. I mean, he's a normal, he's a normal human being, but he had, he knew that his knowledge of the future and his faith that Jesus was going to return and his faith that the, the, the kingdom to come is gonna trump everything that we experience here on planet earth affected the way that he approached life. And he was, unstoppable in that way. His enemies could not stand him. Do you know why? They had no leverage against them. The Roman empire, you know what they used as their, their biggest force point of, of leverage against humans? What, what do you think the Roman empire used to, to get people to do what they wanted them to do? Fear of death. That's how they, they, they would push 
as hard as they could on people. They got people to do what they wanted and they leveraged the power of the Roman Empire and the fear of death. Guess what? The apostle Paul could not be pushed in that way. Because he said, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, he, would, he would even tell the church at Corinth, he would say, hey, you know, if I stay here, guess what I get to do? I get to preach the word. I get to, I get to travel all over the place and plant churches. He goes, I kind of would rather be killed and I get to go see Jesus. So he said, I'm stuck between these two places. Either, either I stay here and I get to preach the gospel or I go to heaven after you kill me and I get to see Jesus. Either option, I'm okay. Now, if, you, if you're an enemy of that guy, that is very frustrating because the dude could go do what he wanted to do. He's like, throw me in prison. I'll sing all night with my buddy and then the gates will come open because an angel will come down here. You couldn't touch him. He was untouchable, unstoppable force. You know why? Because he had a reframed mind. He had a different view of death. He knew Jesus was coming back. He says, don't act like people that don't have hope. You have such a hope and it should change the way that you operate on planet earth. He knew that the church at Thessalonica was uniquely placed in this urban area and was gonna spread the gospel in this powerful way. And he wanted them to have no fear because they were under the thumb of the Roman empire. And for you and for me to look, to look around at who we are and look around at what, what makes us anxious, look around at what makes us fearful, what makes us scared, what's overwhelmed you. For a large portion of my life, I was rendered worthless in the kingdom of God. Now it was shaping me, but I was so just overwhelmed with anxiety and fear, wondering what I had, an undiagnosed neurological disorder because the enemy knew he could stop me in my tracks. I was on my way into ministry most likely. And then all of a sudden, sidebar, undiagnosed neurological disorder, and you don't think about anything else. Overwhelmed my mind. Weakness of faith needed to reframe the brain about what my future was all about. And God did. He reshaped things and re, it, it changed who I am. It changed the way that I approach ministry altogether. But I'm not telling you, there was a, there was a little sidebar for sure, when it came to the way that I looked at life. We, we now, we can face fear in light of eternity for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Death has been defeated. Jesus died and rose again. Resurrection is possible. It's an amazing truth. Number two, we get to live for what matters most. So not only can we face fear in light of eternity, we actually can, can live for what matters most. He's trying to lean them into this truth. Verse 16, it says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. My wife says this is the Baptists, like their favorite verse in the Bible. Like this is every Baptist hymn was like wrapped around this. And that's when people would get, you know, I get to see Jesus face to face. It's like, as soon as you get to that third stanza, cause you always have stanza one, stanza two. We're gonna skip stanza three for whatever reason in the hymnal. And we're going straight to stanza four cause that puts us in heaven, right? <laughs> and that's when the dead in Christ will rise and we, everybody's together on a cloud with Jesus. And it's awesome. Most hopeful verse in scripture, right? But the, the, the cool thing about this is he's trying to, Tell them, hey, look at your future because understanding your future helps you navigate the present 
And if you know the future, it changes the way that you think. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter six, he says, don't lay up treasures here. What's gonna happen to the treasures you lay up here? Moth and rust are gonna destroy. And nobody understands that better than beach people. I mean, look in your yard, seriously. Yeah, Mike Berry, you got everything in, in your whole, anything outside of your house and inside your house is rusting right now. Like that screw you put in that brand new deck last year, it's literally falling out. And you're like, this thing is gonna fall apart. And like every, you know how many grills I've bought since I've lived at the beach? No, I'm serious. They just, it just, everything just slips through your fingers. It does not last. And everything that we experience here on planet earth, you think about it, if we think about it, we realize it's not going to last. It's, it's so obvious to us. We try to keep it together. Right now I've got, I mean, just have my house renovated. That storm came through here and ripped a bunch of siding off the side and I had to go out there and 40 mile an hour sustain winds and hammer it up so it didn't, no more of it got ripped off. All the ladies in the house were screaming, you're gonna die. I'm like, no, I'm not. Put it up and it's, I still look at it. Every day I drive by there pulling in my house, it's all halfway, I haven't fixed it yet. And I keep going, I gotta fix that. But then another storm's gonna come and what's it gonna do? It's gonna rip all the lighting off again. It just happens. And Jesus in his wisdom, what does he say? He says, hey, just gonna let y'all know that stuff you keep buying, it ain't gonna last. It's just not gonna. It is gonna become ash. It is gonna become dust. And what, what's, he, what's he trying to say? And what's the apostle Paul trying to say? He's saying, don't invest here. There's certain things you have to, you gotta buy food, you gotta have a house, you gotta you got take care of your people. And there's common grace of things that we enjoy on planet earth. But what's, what's, this, what's going on right here? It's the reshuffling of the deck. Because ma many of us put that domicile thing at the top end of the, of the list the safety and the, the comfort and the stuff that we own and the cars that we have and the things that we can, you know, get in life, the way that we can extend our life through legacy and being rich and wealthy and all those things. And Jesus says, don't, don't, don't lay it up here. We get to know the future, that Jesus is coming back, that resurrection from the dead is possible. It's a crazy thing. You know, for me, you know, I, I think about things that, you know, you, this, I think it was 2021, maybe 2020, 2021, we, we started to do one of our, before we knew we were gonna have a full renovation on an HGTV show. Before we knew that, I, we were doing, we had, we had different things that needed to be done in our house, lots of things. And we had this room that we all hung out in, we really loved it, but we're like, let's, we're gonna DIY this thing. Derek's gonna get out his power tools, we're gonna fix this room, it's gonna be awesome. And so we spent a month Pretty much every day I got off work, every weekend, restructuring this one wall, doing this faux wall, doing a bunch of stuff to our fireplace, doing stuff on this wall, doing some stuff with the floor. I mean, we just did a bunch of stuff. I had the kids involved and they loved it. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. It was so great. Um, and yeah, and our marriage barely survived. Um, and I, I spent so many, you know, when you start, you're like, I'm just, this, I figured out the budget. We're going to do this. And it's just always more. It's like another, I, I, will, I know I just went to Home Depot. I gotta go back. Um, and then guess what? I walked into my house, you know, 10, 10 months later. And it was so funny. I was kind of smiling and kind of sad too, watching them just tear all of that out. Like they're like, who did this? <laughs> just tearing it all off, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is my favorite part of the house. Um, no. 
I mean, it was, it was trash. And the, the, if I think about it, if I would have known, I could have, I mean, we could have, I could, one, I could have relaxed a whole lot more, <laughs> right? It was a different type of January. Um, and you know, <laughs> I took the kids out to dinner with all the money and with all that money we spent. You, you think about it, but I didn't know. I had no idea that all of a sudden there was gonna be this just renovated new Harmon kingdom, right? But what's the apostle Paul saying? He's like, I'm, I'm telling you, you do know. You have the information. It's right here. There's a kingdom to come. It is gonna be renovated. It is gonna be redeemed. It is gonna be way better than this one where moth and rust destroy. Don't invest here. Don't put it all here. Reshuffle the deck in terms of what's important and what, what matters. And with your time, with your resource, with your energy, with your money, all of those things. We're not passing the bucket right now, I promise. <laughs> but listen, I'm, I'm telling you, we, even with what you do, even with me in ministry, this happens. This week's been one of those weeks, just been a grind and ha had a lot of stuff going on. And then I jump into this passage, I got to preach, got some different things. Team night was happening, which is awesome, but just a busy week all around. And I was trying to get, get kind of into the, to, into the zone. And I, I sometimes I'll take a, a walk down to the, to the pier, just look at the ocean, just to clear my mind. And I just thought, well, when I was, I was out there, I talked to a, a guy I see all the time, his name's Jim. Uh, he's homeless and sits right in the same spot, right by the pier uh, pretty much every day. And I walked out there and just clicked in my mind. I was like, you know what? And I, did, I, was, I felt pressed for time. Like I got this limited window in which to do sermon prep. And then I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. Got my, my daughter's birthday, I got this. And so I'm trying to tuck it in this little window of work time and don't want anything to mess with it. Staff knows how I am about my, my little windows. Um, and I immediately just something came over me. I'm studying this passage right here just thinking about, you know, wh what really matters in life. And I just, I went into the, the fridge and we had um, Sierra Grill for our team night, but we had some leftover steak and some tortillas and some, some other stuff and a bucket of that amazing salsa. It was fantastic. So I just started making a bunch of tacos for the homeless people that were out there and went out there and, and we didn't have regular waters. All we had was bubbly, the fizzy stuff. And they were, they, I thought they'd be bummed like they want regular, but they were like, dude, we got the fizzy stuff. Woo! They were so excited. And my, my week was, was, was hard. And there was a lot of things that were um, just making it an unhappy week. Um, and I'll just tell you, if you, if you ever wanna be happy, make tacos for homeless people because um, it will change the trajectory of your life. It will reframe the way that you think about what's important in life and where you spend your, and I'm not making you think that I'm awesome. I'm a dirtbag on a good day. I don't think, I, I wanna think this way. I wanna think this is the important stuff, like to sacrifice a, 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 a fantastic sermon and a, you know, a theological exegesis of 1 Thessalonians chapter four and come in here and impress you or go, Go home, Derek, and spend some time with your daughter on her birthday. Go, go, go sit down with Jim and have a few laughs and bring him some steak tacos. You know, I, I think about what we, how we frame what's important. And it usually reflects on, you know, what we wanna look like, how we wanna be, how much money we wanna make and what kind of world and kingdom we can create for ourselves. And the reality is, is, somebody's gonna come in there and tear that world down. It's gonna get pulled apart. 
And there's a new kingdom to come. And why not invest in that new kingdom that's coming, right? Spend our life, spend our world, our effort and our energy. And that should change the way that we think instead of walking around so angry and anxious. Maybe I'm just talking about myself, but thinking, holy mackerel, there's gonna be a kingdom to come. It's way better than this one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put, put all my life there. I'm gonna put what I, what I care about into that kingdom. And it should affect my job, my marriage, the way I interact with my kids, my time, my money. So we, we look at fear in a different way. We certainly can approach life differently than the rest of the world with hope. And the last one is that we can grieve with hope. I almost didn't wanna end with this because it feels like a downer, but it really isn't. Go back to verse 13, listen to this. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We get to grieve with hope, which I don't know how hopeful you think that is, but grieving is actually a good thing. I mean, Jesus even says, blessed are those who mourn. Like there's something about the people that are willing to cry over the hardship is it's an important thing. It's an important process. The rest of the world medicates grief. They don't wanna grieve. They don't wanna cry. They don't wanna, we wanna block that off. We wanna medicate it with drugs, alcohol, distraction, another person, something other than life. We don't wanna get in that space and in that place. It's, it's a healthy thing. In fact, if you, if you, if you, uh, you, you bury grief when you're grieving, you're burying grief alive and it's gonna come back up. It just, it's gonna, it's gonna get, it's gonna be, it's gonna come out in, in, in really broken ways. So grieving is, is great, but the beautiful thing is that we get to grieve with hope. It shapes the way that we approach, we approach death and death that might happen around you. You know, less than, less than a year ago, my dad died pretty unexpectedly. Like, I mean, just it, when somebody's snatched from your life, um, it's, it's painful, it's hard. And it's interesting, last week, before, before we even got into this passage, I had started, maybe it was a couple weeks, just I'd have these little breakdowns. You know, you, you think you're getting over something and you can think about, like I'm thinking, oh, I can just think lovely things about my dad now. I don't have to think about how he died and where I was and maybe I should have been there, been closer, talked to him the day before, sent a different text because I texted him probably a few hours before he passed away. Um, but it was lighthearted and not, you know, you just don't know. And you think through all that stuff. And you get past that and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna have the warm, fuzzy feelings about growing up with my dad and all the good things he did um, and can think about those things. But it just comes in ways where all of a sudden you're just, you're frustrated that they're not around anymore, right? You're like, they're not there. I literally, during the FSU had a better season this year, right? Um, I texted my dad during a game. I mean, he's dead. And I just, I, I was sitting there going, ah, ah, and literally just sat on the couch and cried. I mean, I couldn't believe, it was like, I was so, ah, you know, amped up. And you're just like, the impermanence of life just hits you in weird ways. And this past couple of weeks, I've just been talking about, she's like, what's going on? And, I'm, and I'll just start getting weepy eyed, you know? And she's, I'm just like, I miss my dad, you know? And she's like, what about it? I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm feeling like, am, am I ever gonna see him again? I know what the Bible says and I know what's, what's in there, but I, 
we don't know how it all works. And, and maybe, I'm, maybe I, what I'm reading, I'm like, do we, do we really understand it? Am I gonna get to, do I get to, was that it? Was what I experienced here? Was it the last words I got to speak to him? You know, is it, how does that all go down? And I was kind of having these weird doubts, you know, like maybe it's different in heaven. I don't, maybe I just, that's it. And I was frustrated and sad. And, and then I, I went to study and I opened the Bible and guess where it was? First Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse 13. And the dead in Christ will rise again. First, and then you, you're gonna jump on the cloud with them. Right here, Jesus had me in this passage talking about my dad. And I just thought, man, how cool is that? That I'm gonna see him again. I get to tell him stuff and talk to him because rather than death being the permanent thing that the, that the pagans in, in, this, in their day and, and in our day think, okay, it's the end, the impermanence, it's the obliteration. I get to tell him, tell him stuff about life and say, hey, dad, I don't know if you saw this, but guess what you missed? Check this out. You know, I just, I bought this old car because my dad used to buy old cars. I don't even know why I did it. Maybe just temporary insanity. And yes, I do realize it's going to rust. Um, it's, it's made in 1988. And I, I, I just, I, uh, I was wanting to put this old FSU tag on it. So I was looking on Amazon for like retro looking Florida State, you know, tags and things like that. And then I realized I was in my son's room who collect, kept everything that my dad had that was FSU. Um, I realized that my dad, he was weird. Um, he kept every tag from like 19, in the 1970s till he died in, 19, in, in, in 2021. Every one of a lot of tags, FSU tags. And then I, I realized in a moment, epiphany, I was like, I bet he's got 1988, the year of my car. And I went there and flipped with my son through all the tags, which was pretty sweet and special too. And I found it. 1988, and I went out in the driveway and I stuck it on the car and screwed it in. And I was like, and then I just crumbled in the driveway and started crying. I was like, Dad, we wanna see this. Guess what? He is gonna see it, because death has been defeated. Death it is no more. If you're wondering how amazing Jesus is and what he did for you, when he died on the cross, he took death, he took your shame, he took the reasons that all of us should die into the grave. He went to war in the depths against the enemy for you. So you can see your loved ones again. So you can put your arms around them, high five them, Show them your 1988 whatever and the depths of how much he loves you and what he's done for you, what he's provided for you. He doesn't want you to forget because it will reframe how you live. And Jesus is speaking into the room right now to Ocean City Church and saying, let's not put all of our chips into the stuff that's here because it's what we do and I do it too. 
all of our, our resources, our energy, our anxieties, all of our brokenness, all that we put it into here, we manage it here. And Jesus is saying, do you realize that you're free? Death has been defeated. You can put all of your chips, all of who you are into a kingdom that will not pass away. Why don't you do that? Because death has been defeated. Death for you and you and you and you and you, it's no more. It's no more.